Welcome back to the Sim Geeks podcast. We are your hosts, William Belk and David Schablock. It has been a while since our last episode, so we are excited to get back in the studio. David, what have you been up to for the last, I don't know, six months or so since we put something out? Just buried in, in, you know, conference. We've been to a lot of conferences. We've been traveling a lot. And mainly the day job, I've been doing a lot of different uh, project planning and documenting and things like that. And just doing some awesome stuff that once uh, once we get some of that finished, I cannot wait to share out. Um, I know I've shown you and Deb a little bit of that stuff. But uh, what have you been up to, Will? I mean, I've been with you at most of those conferences, if not all of them. Uh, but yeah, doing a lot of teaching for Moulage recently. Did uh, did a lecture there at SimGhost based on using serious games. And then uh, got lucky enough to get pulled into one of Susie's projects on that Everest climb thing at SimGhost, which was absolutely, that was just a ton of fun, right? Uh, so yeah, uh, Cincinnati one week, two weeks later in Dallas. Same thing we did last year, just bouncing all over the place. You know, we were at IMSH earlier this year, and then of course all the medical conferences go along with it. So it's been been very very busy summer as well as early you know, late spring. And I did an Axel where I actually finally got to meet our lovely guest. I have been talking to her for years on and off. It was nice to actually finally post pandemic ish. I'm using air quotes you can't see, but finally actually get to meet her. So that was nice. Yeah, so I mean, you're leading into that already. So we're here today with Deb Tauber of the Sim Cafe podcast uh, to discuss her current projects, her passion for end of life and palliative care simulation, and whatever else she wants to share with us. Uh, so Deb, please take a few minutes, introduce yourself, give us your background, and tell us about your podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor to be on on this podcast. Um, I'm humbled. Thank you. So I'm Deb Tauber. I'm the founder of Innovative Sim Solutions. I started my nursing background. I'm a nurse. Um, I started in emergency medicine and I was there for close to 25 years. Then I got into assisted living. I was director of nursing for a couple of years. Then I got into education. That's where I fell in love with simulation and really learned to understand how much learning could really occur through simulation. So in 2017, I opened Innovative Sim Solutions and we have three things that we really do. The first thing is we do consulting. The most important thing and the first thing really is the podcast. And we started those, it'll be October of 2021. So not even quite a year. We have 5,500 listens today. We hit that number. Congrats. Thank you. We've had so many amazing guests that have offered their time and expertise and provided a history of simulation in in little bite-sized pieces. So it's been a great journey. Secondly, I have some courses on simulation. They're online. Some are with Healthy Simulation and some are on the website. And they're broken down into modules so you can learn an easy eight module courses about the different things in simulation, like what, you know, Laridol needs Leap and Gamard needs Uni and CAE needs Maestro. And I don't think people really understand that when they get into it, we're like nursing people. We're like, wait, what? Why can't this computer just use the simulator? It took me a long time to wrap my head around that. But I thought Windows did everything, just the operating system. It just does it for me, right? <laughs> right. So helping learners understand some of those basic things, what's the history and terminology, accreditation, standards of best practice, realism, 
equipment and technology, equipment and realism, pre-briefing, simulation, debriefing, and then operations. So they're all broken down and I have amazing guest speakers in them like Andrew Spain, Kim Layton, Susie. Different people would come in and do a short video in there so you can catch them. And they're also on the website under the resources section. And then the final thing is I've been working with Farusa Kandapur and we have had some opportunities to um, provide consulting for organizations that are really trying to get off the ground and they don't know what they need and they don't know what they what they want. So we help them, we can help them to go ahead and figure out, okay, how much money do you have? What is your budget? And how can we help you to get the most return on investment for your budget? So that your C-suite sees that you have spent your money wisely. That's what our goal is. We don't want people to just spend all this money and have things that they're not going to use. Because how many years have we heard about, once again, simulators in the box? Mm-hmm. It's just let's get this done right the first time and let's begin to use it and enjoy it and appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Well, with two people that are have so much experience to working together, that is kind of a dynamic duo. So that's that's really an awesome uh, thing that you guys are working together. Thanks. Thanks. And I was about to comment on that too. I mean, your your guest list, uh, I mean, you look at a lot of those guys are, are people we've either communicated with, we've had on in the past, we have plans within the future. I mean, you've got a lot of really good people that have been involved with the Sim Cafe. I mean, we're talking about, you mentioned Amar and Farouz and a few others, like there's some solid people in simulation and it's kind of funny to see how we all kind of find each other, right? We clump together, it seems like. It's funny because I interviewed Jared Young from Chips this morning. I mentioned to him, I said, I'm going to be on the Sim Geeks podcast this afternoon and I'm a little nervous. And he says, yeah, you're going to be on the hot seat. (laughs) (laughs) Jared's great. Yes, he is. He is. So I have for simulation healthcare week. I have interviewed Jared, Susie, and then tomorrow it's going to be Matt. Charnetsky? Yeah. Yep. Matt is definitely a uh, friend of the podcast. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And just in general, too. I mean, he's he's just, he's a great guy in simulation. He'll always help you out with anything. It doesn't matter what it is. You can ask for help. He's going to be there to help you out. Probably almost to a fault. I mean, I definitely hit him up a lot. Yeah. Uh, So... Deb, I mean, you, you talked to us about kind of what you've got going on now, but, you know, you came on today, you said you wanted to talk about end-of-life simulation, palliative care. Give us a rundown. Why is this the thing that you chose to come talk to us about? Where does your passion for this topic come from? And, you know, and how can we help promote it and do a better job of this throughout the sim industry? And I'm going to jump in real quick here because when we talked about having you on, I said, okay, you know, my question always is, what are you bringing listeners? What can you give to them? And without even skipping a beat, you talked about end of life care simulations and oh, you stepped in it with me because I've seen some good stuff and I've seen some not so good stuff. And that's why I really thought I want you to come in here with your experience and give us some good references. Thank you very much. And thank you for providing the space for me. Not to be a Debbie Downer, but on some of my podcasts, I talk about mental illness, suicide, and now obviously end of life. Um, But one of the things working in the emergency department, nobody ever thinks somebody's going to die. They just think, well, we're going to be able to save them. That's why they're in the emergency room. And at the end of the day, a lot of times there's nothing that we can really do. When I had the opportunity to work in the assisted living nursing home, I got to realize that there's a sacred time 
that we can appreciate and help the family to prepare for as well as the patients and create something that's essentially sacred. And I remember we had a patient and I actually talked to the family member before I I said this. um, Her name was Fran O'Connor and she had three daughters and two of them were nurses. One was a chief, chief nurse executive at a hospital near me. And so it was her mother and her other sister was a nurse. I think she was a school nurse. And as Fran's condition started to deteriorate and decline, I said, you know, I really think that we should consider what is going to be the most quality life experience. It's not about what's the matter with you. It's what matters to you. But let's have that discussion as a group and not just turn away from it. And I want to say there's a statistic that I don't have off the top of my head, but I'm going to interview um, Barbara Carnes, who is kind of the, is known for her work on end of life and death and dying. I'm going to interview her on one of my podcasts because her work has been so impactful. So during this experience, the day that Fran O'Connor died, it was like a winter afternoon, maybe January, the snow was falling quietly. The family was gathered around her. There was beautiful music and we got to say prayers, which is what the family wanted to do. And it was a nice experience compared to the chaotic experiences in emergency medicine and even in code situations in hospitals. So I think having these conversations early is important. And I had the privilege of taking a position in the Chicagoland area where I was the director of the simulation center as an interim position. And my boss, bless his heart, George Arnold, he would let me do whatever I wanted. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't care what I did. I didn't really even have to run it up the flag. Yeah. So I said, George, no, I think we should do a couple simulations. And I had another instructor, her name was Sue Schwab. She wanted to do it for the spirituality course. So we created uh, two simulations. One was delivery of bad news. So how does the patient take it when they get the bad news? Ooh. And they have the family members there and the dynamics. And we have some standardized patients that were prepared to bear witness. And then it was a Catholic organization. So we actually had a priest come in and give last rites to the patient. And that was for the patient when they were, when they were, delivery of bad news. So what are we going to do? We don't, you know, how do you want to manage this? She decided that she wanted to go on hospice. So after that, we debrief. And then following the debriefing, we rolled into the hospice simulation. And during the hospice, some of the objectives included what are non-pharmacologic things that you can do and provide for patients at end of life. And that would include aromatherapy, music therapy, massage, pet therapy. And they actually let me have a live dog into the school. There was no policies around it. But one of the faculty members had a pet therapy boxer that came in. And during the debriefing, the students were so touched by what they saw and felt that there were individuals in there that said, I want to learn those prayers. Nice. 
And it was just very, very meaningful. And I think uh, I was able to go ahead and do those simulations in other parts of the country with innovative sim solutions. And if guests are interested, I'm more than willing to share those objectives with them. And some of them would include what it's in a hospice kit. So a hospice kit, if you're dying of congestive heart failure, is going to look a lot different than if you have an oncology and your pain management is your main goal is to keep the pain down. So the kits contain different things. I think the other thing is the DNR. There's DNRs in different states. So Illinois has one, Ohio has one, Florida has one. What are your rules and regulations around the DNR form to make sure that it's there? And what about when you have right at the end, which has happened many occasions, one person in real life experience wants to do one more thing. And the other person knows, hey, we have been down this road. We know that mom just wants this to end peacefully. She doesn't want to go one more time. So I think to have those conversations and help the learners understand that I think many people in healthcare go into nursing, medicine, thinking we're going to save lives and stamp out diseases. But at the end of the day, some of the things we might be doing are holding someone's hand and letting them know that it's okay, that everything's going to be okay, right? The number one thing I'm hearing, talking about the emotional soft skills, and that is something you cannot train, and it's something that is very difficult to prepare for. And I always go back to, in my last position, we had a sim where it was an intentional overdose. When the physician comes in, asks if you tried to do anything to hurt yourself, no, 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 no. But then the nursing students would come by and the patient would say things like, you know, you remind me of my daughter. She never calls anymore. And to see the different people either interact or la, 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 I can't hear it. So working about doing this end of life care skills like you're talking about, a lot of it is what can you do? What should you do? And how can you actually be there, not just as a clinician, but emotionally for that person? And that's a difficult thing. Some people don't want to interact with that. But the thing about it is you've got to, for one, for the patient, but also because you need to stay in this industry for a long time and you have to be able to sort it out. Right. No, absolutely. It's helping people understand how these conversations are going to go. I actually interviewed my daughter on one of the podcasts. It hasn't been released yet. She shares remembering that each patient, even though it's a chest pain in room nine, it's cancer patient room 27, it's a gunshot wound in 16. For that patient and those family members, this is the worst day of their life. And how do we connect with them and let them know that we care, Mm -hmm. that we have empathy, that we have compassion? Because we went into caregiving to give care. But let's remember about empathy, compassion, and about vulnerability on all of our parts, because each one of us is vulnerable. And you make a great point there, Deb. I mean, there was a point even in my own career where I got to that like, oh yeah, same thing every day. This sucks, I hate it. To the point where I was on my way out. Like EMS was behind me, I wanted nothing to do with it. And luckily something happened in my career that kind of reignited me and got me back to it. But it does become way too easy to just go, oh, there's another patient over there. I have to go do my job and then I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna go back to sleep, right? And that's an EMS thing. Obviously in nursing, you guys work shifts and head home. You know, looking at that, And as David mentioned already, trying to prevent burnout or trying to get people to 
sympathize or empathize with people and say, you know what? Yeah, you are a patient. You're also a family member. There's people that care about you. I need to care about you as well, even if I'm never going to see you again. Like, I need to understand what you're going through. Um, so I guess what I'm looking at here is with our focus, especially you mentioned it as well as the emergency department, EMS, any kind of emergency or rescue type setup, we're almost always focused on resuscitation, right? Like that's what we're looking for is how do I stop you from dying? How do I get you back to where you were this morning? How do we shift that mindset? How do we get people to buy into the idea that yes, end of life care exists outside of a hospice situation? And yes, we need to include that in our education and our simulation. Well, I think this is actually from Barbara Karen's book. She says, there's a normal, natural way of dying. Her materials are written to guide and support anyone who finds themselves at end-of-life situations. But the goal is to help people have a positive experience for anyone involved, and they'll have a sacred memory to carry on with them. To think that we all are, we all are born and we all die. And what happens in that dash of time is the difference that we make. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing I'm thinking about also is preparing the nursing students for that because I'm in nursing right now. In nursing school, they're drinking from the fire hose. They're learning the skills. They're hanging on for dear life. And so it gets boiled down to very, very basic things of survival, skills, and getting to the next level. Simulation, we talk about the purpose of simulation is critical thinking, critical thinking skills, not just procedures. An end-of-life simulation can really work on those soft skills and teach to prepare somebody for that because, like you said, we're not going to save them all. We're going to have people that are going to pass away right in front of you, and you have to kind of be mentally ready for that and mentally in that mindset. Yeah. So one last question from me, Deb, and I'll let you kind of take as long as you want on this one, but, but how are those learning objectives different? How do we design these simulations in a way that we're able to deploy them? They're, well, I generally stick to three objectives. So that simulation that we did at the, the school I mentioned with Dr. Arnold, we did it for spirituality. So that was about spiritual practices. So the objectives were around a patient's beliefs. The second one we used it for was community, and that's when we threw in the, um, you know, hospice. And I can't remember off the top of my head what the third one was for, but they we, they were actually able to multi-purpose the simulations for different learner groups. So all of us have experiences with death and dying, right? Most of them not not great experiences. I think that's a fair statement. Uh, and so it's an uncomfortable topic for most people, uh, especially if we're talking about new healthcare providers that haven't really experienced it yet or haven't experienced it as much as some of us that have been around a while. Uh, what are the topics that we need to avoid or shy away from? Like, is there anything that should be off limits or off the table when we're writing these scenarios? Or should we be pushing into that discomfort? You know what? Here, here's my this is my take on it. This is Deb Tauber's take. As long as you can psychologically provide a psychologically safe space. So you tell your learners way in advance, this is what we're going to do. If you're not comfortable with this, let us know. Because in the hospital or in in the house or wherever you're at, you can't say, oh, I'm not doing this. However, you can provide a psychologically safe environment for them and let them know if you're not comfortable with this. Like maybe someone's family member just 
died and they're, it was a hospice and it was a bad situation or whatever, and they don't want to do it, then that should be, that should be okay. And, and it's not a joke, like not for people to think, to add funny things in there because, because it's not, it's not funny and, and people can be hurt by that. I think sometimes humor ends up being the way people cover up their uncomfortableness. So instead of, of trying to recognize that they're uncomfortable and stay uncomfortable in that discomfort and not try and laugh it off because our learners are going to learn so much more from that. If, if you, if you provide that space for them to learn, right? Cause you have that space. David and Will can see me. I have my hands over my head and there's like four inches, right? There's that space when you can kind of think about things, but when it gets like, too stressful and too panicky, like that much, way big, you're not learning anything. You're just kind of running around in uh, like a house on fire. And then you can, you can, like you said, some people will then go to the other end of the spectrum. They'll act silly. They'll make it a joke. They'll, they'll run around and act silly or they'll overact, which it, oh, overacting is one of my hot buttons in sim. It's so easy to have somebody to, you know, not use it for what it should be used treat it serious, treat it like a real experience, make people uncomfortable if that is the learning objective so that they are more comfortable later on. So awesome. Well, and you, and you touched, you hit, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Inappropriate humor is a coping mechanism for pretty much anyone in healthcare, it seems. And so it's very, it's very important to be like, all right, guys, I get it. The jokes are here. Let's leave those at the door, right? Make those later. You guys are going to have to deal with that. But I think that's very important to address as part of your pre-brief, right? Like, we're going to take this seriously. And if you can't do so, then maybe it's time to bow out and go do something else. Yes. And that includes faculty. I've, like I said, I've had faculty that that's where when we have, and not just talking about this, but the Dr. Knife, Dr. Blade calls over and things like that. No, 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 no. We treat it as serious as possible. We simulate reality and therefore we can get the real learning and the real experiences in a psychologically safe, like you said, environment where if at the end of it, they're upset, we can talk about that. We can do that. And I'd rather you be upset in a safe environment that we can debrief and talk about. And therefore the first time you have you know, a patient expire in front of you, you don't leave medicine because that doesn't do anyone any good. Right. Absolutely. Oh, you mentioned the hospice box too. I, that was something that I have never heard of. Like I, I've never even heard of that. So the concept of the hospice box, of course there is one, but again, just never, I've never interacted with that. So that when you mentioned that, I'm like, what? That makes so, so much sense, but I've never heard that talked about. So the basics of that is what? The basics of that is when you get a diagnosis and you select a hospice company, they'll, the case, the person, the nurse in charge will look at the case and then they'll determine which, what things are going to be in your hospice box. So you might have morphine, you might have Lasix, you might have Versed, depending on needs of the patient, and which again are narcotics, so they have to be collected at time of death. So there's a lot of things to be considered with with hospice and end of life is even as far as narcotics and what are you doing with narcotic removal at the end due to the opioid crisis that we have. Mm -hmm. But once again, the, the hospice one would be, you know, what is, just like you asked, what's in a hospice kit? 
Where does the hospice kit come from? What is the valid DNR? What actually do you need on that form to be completed and where should it be kept? And then once again, what are non-pharmacologic interventions that you can provide to a patient and family members during an end of life experience or during just a comfort care? What is pet therapy? What is music therapy, massage therapy? What things can you have that are non-pharmacologic for clients? And things that are important to the person too. So make it patient-centric or person-centric. Actually, try to get the word patient out of there, even if it's more of a, this is an experience and this is a patient or a person-centric experience, rather than being clinical and saying patient. Right. Yeah. Thank you for giving me the space to talk about that. And once again, if anyone does want to reach out, I'm more than willing to share the simulations or talk to them about it. I will be having Barbara Carnes on. She has, and I'll show you, this is a little book. I mean, see, this is a little, it's just a booklet. It just has like what to expect from six months to three months and what you should be looking for. Because I don't think I go through such, so much with birth, right? If you're obstetrics, you're at prenatal checklist, you got your prenatal visits, you're doing this, you're doing that. And that's, someone's going to be born. But at the end, we don't prepare anything. We don't have any ideas. We don't have any thoughts. So Deb, one last thing. Before we came on, you asked David and I if there was a way that we could accomplish something. And I told you I wanted you to actually talk about it. So what is this project that you want to see us or one of our listeners carry out? So I would like to see some kind of reuse, recycle for simulation um, equipment and supplies. And, you know, this is based on my my experience on multiple campuses. I think I've probably been to close to 70 or 80 centers. And, you know, you go to one center and they'll have 10,000 colostomy bags and they'll have... 55 IV arms and they'll have, you know, all these things that they don't use and they don't need. And how could we reuse, recycle, help others to get better use of inventory, similar to a Facebook page where you can, you know, buy, sell, exchange and trade. I would love to see something like that started. And I think you guys are, seem to be on the cutting edge of some of of these types of projects or no, you, you know, a guy, right. As we say in Chicago, I know a guy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, and I want to add to that too. I think, you know, the buy, sell trade aspect, we, we you know, there are a couple of them out there and we've definitely have, have been involved in a few of those over the years, but the other thing is donate, you know, you mentioned earlier that there, there's recently been a SIM center fire, or sometimes we're talking about people trying to prop up SIM centers in third world countries, or someone is just getting started and doesn't necessarily have the budget. Uh, and again, I, I tend to tie things back to EMS just because that's where a lot of my experience was. EMS departments do not have money for simulation. They just don't, right? Like even mm -hmm. to buy a mannequin is is a once in a lifetime purchase for a lot of these programs. And so to be able to donate to like, oh, hey, look, I have, as you said, eight cases of ET tubes. Well, I don't use a new one every time I touch the mannequin like I would a patient. I reuse that thing for six months. I don't need eight cases of the same size ET tube. So somewhere that I can say, hey, I'm going to post this. Now, 
Um, David and I have been working on our website for something close to three years now, and it still doesn't exist. Uh, so someday we may be able to host something like this. In the meantime, uh, Sim Ghosts does have a buy, sell, share page, uh, but I believe you have to be a member, whether that's a paid member or a free login member. I'm not sure. I mean, you should be anyways. Well, there's that. And so there's definitely some things like that, but I would encourage anyone who's listening to this, if somebody wants to build a free marketplace, like a private page on Facebook, uh, or even something as simple as a Google document where we can, everyone can just share it, log in and say, hey, here's what I have, and let somebody else come along and claim X number of whatever you're trying to give away, put their address in, and then someone can market once it's shipped. And we're talking about something very simple, maybe an hour's worth of work, and maybe I just convinced myself to do it. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's something along those lines. Absolutely. But one thing is there's a lot of simulation centers at schools that'll get a grant. They'll get, you know, a million, $5 million. They'll get grant money and then they'll just, they'll have all these, they'll have old, old toys and they don't know what to do with them. So you're saying EMS, you know, could use those old toys, right? How do we have, how do we share? How do we have less fortunate user groups have access to things that that are, are in excess. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, the one thing that stops a lot of these is, I can't pay to ship it. Well, I can't pay to ship it either. If I'm underfunded, I can't pay to ship it. And you know, if you're sending it out, you're getting rid of it. That doesn't mean you have a lot of money for shipping. So, you know, a lot of the um, you're not alone things that I've been preaching about is there's a lot of groups, simulation, local regional simulation groups. And I know that one of the ones, the Tri-State Sim Consortium down here in uh, the Cincinnati area, they will, when they have their meetings, they'll just bring it all and there'll be this big sort and, and trading and that sort of thing. So having one online would be good, but you should be meeting with your groups that are local in the area, in your region. You should be networking with them. You should be training and helping all of each other grow. And that would be one good way of doing it. That's that's a really good idea. And that is, you know, something that maybe we could share during simulation week. Simulation healthcare week is how we can share extra supplies so that we're not, you know, being wasteful. I know um, I used to, there's a lot of homeless people in the Chicagoland area. And, you know, if I'm ever at dinner or something, I have leftovers. I'll go ahead and give my leftovers to somebody. I mean, why not share if you have more and you're able to? Right. How can we give back? How can we return what blessings we have been given? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and even like you said, David, getting together with those local groups. But, you know, we do ghosts and IMSH and SimOps. You could just as easily stuff a bunch of stuff in a spare suitcase for 35 bucks and take it with you. Right. Uh, and so there may be room, even if you can't afford to ship something, if you know you're going to be somewhere where somebody may be able to use it, communicate ahead of time and just say, hey, you know what, we'll meet up here and I'll hand it off, whether that's local, like you said, or it's a major event, as long as I can get it where I'm going. Absolutely. Yeah, if we can get one of these, you know, Facebook groups or the SimGhost group or one of the groups to just be focused on buy, sell, trade for conferences, even that that's a great idea. Hey, I'm going to this conference. Are you going to this conference? I got extra this. I need that. Great. And you can do that. So that's that's another good thing just to get the conversation going, because the problem I see is a lot of these get started and then they die on the vine because not enough people participate in it. And it's, you know, like a lot of these things, it's just it's got to get people to keep it in front of their face. So they know to do that. Right on, guys. Well, I think I mean, I feel like that touches on everything we set out to accomplish today. 
Um, Deb, again, we can't thank you enough for coming on. I hope this isn't the last time we see you. Hopefully we'll get to do this again sometime in the near future. Thanks for bringing us out of our slump, getting something recorded that we'll be able to send out here pretty shortly. Are we gonna see you at IMSH here in a couple months? Yep. All right, we will see you then. Uh, any closing statements or anything? No, I just want to thank all the listeners who have listened to the Sim Cafe and the wonderful compliments. It's just been such an, an honor and privilege. Thank you so much for having me on today. It's been, once again, such a pleasure. And I appreciate the work you're both doing. Thank you. David, go ahead and close us out. As uh, always, you can find us on all of the different social media platforms as the Sim Geeks podcast. That's Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. So if you have questions, comments, show ideas or anything like that, please do interact with us. And uh, as always, thank you for your time. Have a great night. Thanks.